0: As we draw near, we do so with humble hearts, we do so acknowledging the sinfulness of our hearts and the sinful work of our hands, and we do so rejoicing that there is forgiveness to be had in the Lord Jesus Christ, for God was pleased to set him forth as the forgiveness of sins, for with him there is forgiveness that he may be feared. And so we draw near in worship, acknowledging that we stand in God's presence by grace alone, through the provision made in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And so with that, we enter into a time of confession. We'll open a time of confession with a brief time of private and silent prayer and confession. And we'll bring our time of confession to a close with a pastoral prayer, which I'll invite you to join your hearts with mine. But let's open this time of confession with a brief time of private and silent confession and prayer. I'll invite you into that now. Our gracious and merciful Father, we come before you as your people, calling upon you as Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and asking that you would forgive us our debts. Father, we sin in many ways. Many of them you bring to our attention by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to the truth of your word. which clearly sets forth your good and proper law, which is a rule of life unto us. We acknowledge, Father, there is much sin that passes our hearts, of which we remain unaware. And so, Father, we would ask your forgiveness upon the sins of which we are aware and the sins of which we are not aware. We acknowledge how quick we are to countenance foolish thoughts of you. Your word is true and excellent and plain and yet so frequently we entertain thoughts that are unfitting. We grumble and complain as if you were not trustworthy, as if you were not good, as if you did not Showcase your fatherly mercies to us day in and day out. We're quick to countenance doubt and fear. And giving room for these things, we forget how wonderful you are and how there is satisfaction which we have tasted, which can be found nowhere else. Father, we are slow to do good even though we know your word has set it forth. We are quick to think of ourselves and slow to think of others. We are quick unto cruelty and impatience and slow to gentleness and compassion, although this is how you have dealt with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, it is as your people that we ask your forgiveness, and that you would increase our understanding of the excellencies of Jesus Christ as we come to understand more and more of our corruption and our sin and more and more of his inexhaustible riches of grace and mercy extended unto us. And that it would be out of an understanding of this, Lord, that we would be quicker and quicker to turn unto him and live, to turn away from the way of sin and venture forth in renewed faith and obedience, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. To all those who are looking in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing sins in accord with his holy word, hear this word of comfort from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's a big word, propitiation, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ covering our sin, removing God's wrath, and establishing us in God's favor forevermore. This is our blessedness and our joy to confess. Yes and amen. I'll invite you to stand as we sing in response to these words of comfort. Hymn 476, It is well with my soul. Thank you. we continue to make our way through psalm 119 we'll read verses 57 through 64 lend your attention this is the very word of god the lord is my portion I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer as we ask his blessing upon our time in his word. O Lord, the earth is full of your steadfast love. Great is your faithfulness. Teach us your statutes. Teach us your word. We give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ who has made you known unto us and who now by his word and his spirit continues. To open our eyes to your glory, beheld now by faith, but as we just sang. One day to be known by sight, such that we know, we will know, as we are now known. Sustain us until that day. Lord, feed us on your word, for you delight to feed your people. You delight to build us up in faith and hope and love. You delight to equip us. And so we ask that you would be pleased to do these things as we attend to your word. Even now, grant to us the hearts of faith to receive it, to hear it, to understand it, and to yield whatever it requires of us. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. You can turn to the book of Hebrews. We'll read just one verse there, and then I'll turn to our catechism question, which is Westminster Shorter Catechism 25. <clears throat> but first, the reading of God's word. Lend your attention. This is the very word of God. Hebrews 5.1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Thus ends the reading of God's word. And question 25 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God, and in making continual intercession for us. What do you think of when you think of a priest? As I was considering the three offices of Christ, in some ways the priest was the strangest of them.
1: We don't really have
0: priests. They would have been common in the ancient world. So what do you think of when you think of a priest? When I was in graduate school, there was a rare book collection that was kept in the basement of the school library. And this was where nearly all of my classes met. And because of the rare books that were housed in these classrooms, these seminar rooms, All the students in my program were issued special keys and had access codes to get into the rooms. We could come and go because this is where our program was housed, but not everyone could. Every now and then you'd forget your key. (laughs) you have to ring the doorbell and wait like some poor outsider, as if you weren't in the program, as if you didn't have access. (laughs) Wait for them to come and hope that someone was in the dusty old room. I brought my brother and my good friend to see the rare books once. I had to let them in. They couldn't get in without me. They didn't have access without me. That is the closest to a priest I'll ever get. Human beings have no access to the blessing of God's presence. Human beings have forfeited access to the blessing of God's presence by virtue of our sin. That's the picture we get in Genesis 3, isn't it? On that terrible day when Adam and Eve are expelled, sent out of that temple-like presence of God, east of Eden. And that's the same thing that happens in the next chapter, isn't it? When Cain, in his sin, is expelled, sent into a life of wandering away from God. Human beings, by virtue of their sin, have no access to the blessing of God's presence, which is life and felicity. But God, in his mercy and time, appointed priests, He took the initiative. It wasn't man who recovered access into God's presence. It was God who appointed a way for man to re-enter the blessing of his presence. But the new feature, attending the life of sin, was not just that there were priests, but that there were sacrifices. Adam was a priest, but there was harmony. Now there was sin, And so priests were appointed, but also sacrifices were necessary because of the reality of sin, the truth of man's guilt, and the need for that guilt to be removed via a substitute, via someone to bear divine justice. And so when we think of priesthood, we think of that reality of access to God's presence and what's necessary for sinful man to access the blessing of God's presence. Aaron, the high priest, would stand in the most holy of holies, representing God's people as he bore them in his garments, inscribed on the stones. He brought God's people into the blessing of God's presence in the most holy of holies. Now the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ has entered the true holy of holies. If the holy of holies in the tabernacle and the temple was a true reality of God's presence on earth, it was still a shadow. It was a copy of the heavenly reality, as the book of Hebrews tells us, as Moses made the tabernacle according to the vision of the heavenly reality, which he was shown. It says Jesus actually entered the heavenly reality. And the wonder that was foresignified in Aaron, bearing the people of God in his bosom into the presence of God, was fulfilled as the Lord Jesus Christ entered the true Holy of Holies, bearing us in him. And thus, As Louis Burkhoff puts it, in Jesus Christ, humanity has been reinstated in the presence of God. We have been re-established in the presence of God. Thus, once more, enjoying life and felicity. Though now we enjoy it by faith in those things that are unseen. So this evening, briefly, we consider our great priest... When we consider the priesthood of Jesus, we consider two major realities. First, his sacrifice, and second, his intercession. But we'll also consider the effect of his sacrifice, namely the satisfaction of divine justice and reconciliation. So we'll consider briefly, first, our sacrifice, second, our reconciliation, and third, our intercessor. First, our sacrifice. That's how the question opens. Jesus Christ executes the office of a priest, In his once offering up of himself as a sacrifice. Notice that Jesus is both the offerer and the offering. He is both the priest and the sacrifice. He offers himself as a sacrifice. The priests of old brought offerings. Offerings that they had to make on their own behalf for they too were sinners. Jesus Christ offers himself as both priest and oblation, on behalf of sinners, he himself being without sin. That Jesus is appointed a priest, we read plainly in Hebrews 5, 1-5. through 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated Offer sacrifices for his own, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the greater priest. You see a whole line of priests descending from Levi. You see a whole family of priests who had to make offerings for their own sin as well as the sins of the people. Jesus is a greater priest than this, for he has no sin for which he needs to make offering for himself, but rather gives himself, offers himself as priest. But in this way, he is like that line of Levi. He did not appoint himself. He was appointed by God. The Father is the one who made the way. This is perhaps the chief misunderstanding when it comes to the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We envision that somehow it is Jesus who has to convince the Father by his sacrifice to love the people. No, it is the Father who sets forth the Son to be the sacrifice. It is this confluence of justice and love in the provision of the Son fulfilling that which was necessary for us to be reconciled, for us to be brought near. He is the greater priest because He is the beloved Son. The Son is the one who intercedes with the Father on our behalf. The Son is the one who stands before the Father and we in Him. I've mentioned the novel Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. It's the story of Charles Ryder and his friendship with the Flights. The Flights are an extremely wealthy family who live at Brideshead, which is an immense English estate of vast wealth. Now Charles Ryder does not have access to this estate naturally, but Sebastian Flight does, for he is a son of Brideshead, it is his family who owns the estate. All of it is his. And when Charles is with him, all of it is Charles as the beloved friend of Sebastian. When Charles and Sebastian are together, it is as if Brideshead belongs to Charles, though he is not a natural son of the estate. Are confident in drawing near unto God is that the Father was pleased to appoint the Son as the priest. And it is none other than the Son who is our priest, who is the one who stands before the Father on our behalf as that most blessed provision. But what of this sin that must needs be dealt with? Hebrews says plainly, the sacrifice that the Son offers is not the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews nine eleven through 14. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood All of the sacrifices were a type of the greater sacrifice that was to come. If the priesthood, not without its deficiencies in the fact that priests arose and then dies, and another one had to arise, and then another one died, and another one had to arise, and another one died, and the whole line of them had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as the sins of, our, of their people, if all of that attested to a deficiency of sorts anticipating the eternal Son who never dies, who stands perpetually, eternally, interceding on our behalf, not needing to make sacrifice for himself. It's also the sacrifices which anticipate the Lord Jesus Christ. Because just as there were numerous priests, how many sacrifices must there have been? How much blood had been spilt? It would have been a messy affair, Old Covenant worship. I'm rather grateful that I'm a minister of the New Covenant. (laughs) I'm not sure I would have had the stomach to be a minister of the Old Covenant. Having to slay and sprinkle and hoist and sever and burn. I'm much more at home with books. (laughs) But all of that was a vivid testimony of the gruesome reality of sin. All of that was a perpetual testimony of the corruption that man bore, of the guilt that we had before the Father, and the need to be cleansed, the need to be forgiven. But it was just a reminder there was no forgiveness through the blood of animals. There was no cleansing through the blood of animals. All of it prepared for the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There were regulations governing the sacrifices. They couldn't have blemishes. They couldn't be physically deficient. The Lord Jesus Christ was spotless, blameless, blemishless. The power of an incorruptible life. Perfection, beauty, through and through. And thus he alone, as sacrifice, can cleanse from sin. Once for all, giving himself in the stead of sinners. And this is what Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering. Why? Because he was perfect. Because he lacked nothing. Because he was pleasing unto the Father. A life yielded in perfect obedience. Obeying the law from front to back. Bearing in full the wrath of God poured out upon sinners. Perfect enough satisfied this Jesus Christ offered himself the priest himself the offering appointed by the Father for your sakes for mine to bring us near and that's what the question goes on to point out the effect of that sacrifice the effect of that all sufficient atonement namely the satisfaction of divine justice and our reconciliation What did the sacrifice do? The question goes on. It satisfied the demands of divine justice and produced reconciliation. Have you seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? It's a little bit older now. There's a young and charming criminal who's passed countless fraudulent checks. He's broken countless laws pretending to be a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot, and so on. And there's a federal agent who's pursuing him. And at one point, fleeing from this federal agent, they speak on the phone and the young criminal says, can't we just call it quits? Like, I'm, I'm tired of running. Can't we just stop this? And the federal agent essentially says, there's no stopping this. You've defrauded of millions. You've broken countless laws. There's no calling it quits. There is the matter of justice which is outstanding. You will be caught. Justice will be satisfied. When we speak of reconciliation, we mean primarily God reconciling himself unto us. We mean first and foremost, God removing the offense which demands divine justice be brought to bear. That's what we hear in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And it's so much strange passage, but you get the heart of it. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He says something very similar in Romans 5.10, a passage that we considered this morning. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Now that does not primarily, re- that, that does not primarily mean changing our subjective attitude towards God. Because what did the death of Jesus Christ do? There were many who were still enemies of God in that subjective sense when Christ died. Were there not? We were still enemies with God in a strange way. In that sense, when Jesus Christ died. What did the death of Christ do? It removed the offense of God's people. It removed... That which required the wrath of God to be poured out upon God's people. In setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ, in the priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has been reconciled unto us in that the demand for divine justice has been satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has fully paid for my sins, for your sins, for all of the sins of those who are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul says the glorious reality is that he's been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And it is by virtue of that ministry of reconciliation that the gospel goes forth. And then that subjective change. Those fleeing from God, those arranging themselves in hostility towards God are brought to cry, Abba, Father. Those who shrank back in fear, those who rose up in hostility, beholding God's love displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ, now collapse into a puddle of tears and cry, Father, what have I done? You will have me as your own? And he says, yes, I am delighted to have you. And so the first reality that our reconciliation brings to mind is that God has removed the offense. And it is in the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ as that which imo- removes the ref- offense, as that which removes the cause for justice to be brought to bear upon us. For Jesus Christ has borne it in Himself, in His body. As that message goes forth, the ministry of reconciliation brings those who are at enmity with God into the status of sons, daughters, those who are brought near. This is what Christ accomplishes by his blessed ministry as our high priest. But it is not just that. It is not just what he did once upon a time. It is that he continues to intercede on our behalf, which is the last facet of his ministry of the priesthood. It closes by saying he makes continual intercession for us. What does it mean that Christ intercedes on our behalf? He now ministers in this strange heavenly courtroom for you, for me. He did so during his earthly life. He does so now during his heavenly tenure for he ever lives to make intercession for us. It was not just that he did something once upon a time and then turned his back on us. It was the doing something in his earthly ministry that engaged him to us perpetually such that he ever lives to make intercession for us. We've been reading through John 17, which is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And we hear him praying for his disciples. But wonderfully, we also hear him praying for us. That is remarkable. It is astonishing to consider that the Lord of glory prayed for you, prayed for me, even in His earthly ministry. That's what He says. I do not ask for these only, being the disciples, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. That's you. (laughs) He says, I'm praying for the one who's going to believe through the word of the ones I'm sending out. You. Me, Jesus is taking us on his lips right there. You don't think he knew? He knew his own. That's what he says. I know my own. My own know me. I call them. They hear my voice. They come. There is an intimacy of knowledge between you and your shepherd. He's praying here. It's a category here, but I invite you to hear your specific name. there, for he knew it. For just as Aaron bore the specific names of Israel into the presence of God, Jesus Christ bears our specific names. He didn't die for hypothetical individuals. He doesn't intercede for hypothetical individuals. He intercedes for his own. I know my own. I don't just know the category of my own. No, I know my own specifically. For not only did I make them as the word through whom everything was made, I purchased them them with the blood that I shed for specific people. For Christ accomplishes an actual redemption, not a hypothetical redemption. Thus, he actually prays for you here. I pray for those who will believe through those that I'm sending out. Let them be one, as I am one with you, and you are one with me, but it's not even just limited to his prayers. Louis Berkoff goes on to write His intercessory work is based on his sacrifice. He presents his sacrifice to God and, on the ground of it, claims all spiritual blessings for his people, defends them against the charges of Satan, the law, and conscience, secures forgiveness for everything justly charged against them and sanctifies their worship and service through the operation of the Spirit that's beautiful, it's a whole other sermon I'm not going to do it right now but it's a whole other sermon (laughs) his intercession he protects them against the charges of Satan, the law and conscience that dark mixture where you essentially are led into an abyss of accusations do you have this narrative running through your head where you do something wrong, but then all of a sudden it spinwheels, it pinwheels, it cartwheels, whatever the word wheel is there. It enlarges into a monstrosity of dark accusation. You think that's just you? No, that's the accuser who seizes upon even a faux pas and leads you to think that you are forsaken. Christ's intercession protects us against that, guards us against that, intercedes on our behalf against spiritual powers the likes of which we barely comprehend. But not just that, he secures forgiveness for our actual sins because it's not just faux pas, isn't it? (laughs) It's actual sins. This is what we bring to our God every time we come into worship. It is a week's worth of actual sins with the hearty expectation that it is not by downplaying that that we come to know the wonders of our God but it is by acknowledging that in the light of scripture's testimony in the light of the spirit's actual conviction on sin and we cast ourselves upon Christ's all sufficient intercession for us where he pleads his own all sufficient sacrifice as the purchase of every spiritual blessing that comes to pass unto us forgiveness for the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness but not just that he makes our worship acceptable he makes our public worship acceptable as our offerings of praise as distracted as they are our offerings of prayer as cut with doubt as they are our offerings of worship as cut with our frailties as they are are a pleasing aroma offered At the hands of Jesus Christ. But it's not just public worship. It's our stumbling and halting obedience. As we look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. As he says follow after me. And the new heart says. I want to. (laughs) I want to perfectly. I do so so weakly. So imperfectly. Please help me. And he not only helps. But he offers that. Unto his Father as a pleasing sacrifice. Because he is our high priest. Because he is the appointed one of God. Not only to stand in the stead of sinners. Not only to bring us into his blessed presence. But to ensure that all of the blessings which he has secured at the cost of his life. Are brought home to the hearts of his own. For he knows his own. And he will ensure that everything that he has earned for them is brought to them in full because he is a faithful high priest. Draw near to him in confidence for he is able to save to the uttermost. Let's pray. Once more, Father, we are in awe of your wisdom and your power and your goodness and the provision that you have made for us. How we were, by virtue of our fall in Adam, cast rightfully out of your presence consigned to a life of wandering, how in your great grace you set forth the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed of the woman who would come and stomp on the head of the serpent and rescue your people from the tyranny of sin, death, and the devil. We pray, Father, that you would showcase his excellencies and the sufficiency of his ministry, that we may be confident to draw near, confident that you hear us, confident that you delight to hear us, For you have made way for us to call out, Abba, Father. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.